Good morning, good afternoon, good night. It's Xavi. If you know me, I'm happy you're here. If you don't, I converted a moving truck into a tiny home amidst the pandemic, gave up my place, and hit the road. Starting in Vancouver, I drove to Miami and realized that there was too much adventure not to share. So to fill you in on my journey, the Play On Foundation presents the Two Degrees Podcast. Why two degrees? Because I'm now a snowbird and escaping two degree weather. I built the truck wrong and the majority of the weight is on the passenger side, so we're tilted at two degrees. But also, I'm going to catch up with industry professionals who I'm glad to call friends and bring you two degrees of separation away from them and what they do. So, welcome to the Two Degrees Podcast, brought to you by the Playon Foundation for Neurological Research and Brain Aneurysm Detection and Prevention. To learn more about the Playon Foundation, check out www.letsplayon.org. But for now, enjoy the show. But first, a quick word. Do you like mangoes? <laughs> of course you do. And if you don't, well, I'm sure there's a high chance you might know someone who does. Well, the Two Degrees Podcast is sponsored by Peeled Fruit. No, not just random fruit that's been peeled, but the children's book about a mother's love language of peeling mango for her baby. Available for delivery on bookbaby.com, bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, and Amazon, just to name a few of the retailers. It even ships worldwide. Check out at Peeled Fruit Book on Instagram for more information on how to get your copy of this heartwarming story. Peeled Fruit, illustrated by Rhoda Domingo. All right. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Two Degrees Podcast, brought to you by the Play On Foundation. Today's guest is not only um, known for her beauty, if I should say, but she's also known for her brains and what she's doing for the mental health of the entire entertainment industry. And I usually just go straight into intros and and bring the person on. But before we get into that, I just want to read this excerpt. And I don't typically do this, but I think I don't want to get any part of it wrong. But Adair Byerly is bridging the gap between mind and power. Byerly is a licensed practitioner in neurolinguistics programming and neuroplasticity, also certified in cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy techniques. Currently, she's a student of continuing education for neuroscience through Harvard University and as the CEO of founder CEO and founder of Entertainment Mindframe, Byerly is leading the way for cognitive sciences to be implemented into intellectual and developmental training for professionals in the fashion and entertainment industry. The reason why I wanted to read that is because that excerpt is from Forbes. And in my opinion, that's, that's like, that's just badass on all accounts. You are, you are in Forbes recognized for your business and I am so excited to be on the opposite end of this call because you're gracious, gracious enough to have me on yours, and so I'm so thrilled to have you on mine. But um, how you doing? It's Adair Byerly. What's going on? Hey, y'all. 
Um, yes, I said y'all, I'm from Texas, guys. Originally, I'm from Texas. Um, I'm good. I'm doing well. I'm, um, you know, just going through life. Mm. <laughs> doing good. Yeah. I, I hear that. That's a very loaded answer, and I I hear that <laughs> life. <laughs> um, how did Entertainment Mind Frame begin? I started Entertainment Mind Frame um, really from over the years of observing all this behavior behind the scenes. I'm I'm a professional model, so um, you know I started. Back in 2009 is when I became a professional, um, or I guess you could say broke into the industry, which was great. It changed my life, but, um, you know, I just saw a whole other side of the business that was, it was just crazy. It was wild. Um, and I, I observed these patterns behind the stage, and I realized that it wasn't just me that was going through things. Um, it was everybody, no matter what level you're on. And um, I saw how it was affecting business. I could see how it was affecting people's craft, their art. Um, and it was just an issue. And I was like, how are people getting work done? How is this happening? Um, so I just decided to dive into brain and behavioral science. And it took me about... I don't know, maybe five or six years to really bridge the two together and say, okay, um, I want to create something that helps creatives understand, you know, what's going on because I'm big on professionalism, huge on professionalism. I come from the background of entrepreneurs and successful ones at that. And the main reason they were successful is because they knew how to treat people and they knew how to work with people. Um, and I just saw a huge lack of that in the industry. So, so yeah, I, I buckled down and studied and I brought it to life just a couple years ago. Can, can you go into if there was like a specific event that happened that sparked this interest, especially to go into behavioral science? Um, there wasn't really a specific event. I just kept seeing and experiencing so many things so um you know just you have those big personalities in the industry that um you know some people are really rude some people are not reliable some people use their status um for as power plays um and i would just see a lot of bad things go on um i was lucky i never Personally, I was never a victim of, of sexualization in the industry, but I see it a lot. And I know a lot of people that have had to deal with it. So, I mean, that's just one example. I know that was something that happened recently uh, that came out <laughs> in the industry and all these people started getting in trouble doing these things. Um, but there wasn't really one thing. It was just an accumulation of, a decade of working with very unprofessional people. Um, yeah. And it just, because it made me hate what I was doing. It made me hate it. I've met a lot of other people who hate it. And some people just end up leaving. 
and they're extremely talented, right? Yeah. Like these people are amazingly talented, but they can't deal with the bullshit. So they're like, I'm out. I'm just going to go work in another industry. I don't want to deal with this. And, and I was like, man, this sucks because we're losing good people. You know, if it's not, if it's not going sometimes, you know, they just get overwhelmed and start acting weird, act, acting different. And then they crack. And before you know it, they're in a, they're in a mental house or, mm. you know, overdosing on drugs or something, you know, something's going on. So it's just very deep. And I like to know why I like to know why people do the things they do. And, you know, so once I started learning how the brain works at first, I was into psychology, but then I was like, I want to go deeper than that and that's when the neuroscience part kicked in and that's really like a whole nother level of you're talking about the wiring of your mind now not just your belief system yeah. it's really 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 and amazing. then did you step away from modeling for a I minute did. or yeah and I still am like okay. I, I model still from time to time but um, you know this is this is more important to me. And even still the fact that it, you know, it was kind of inspired by the industry. Um, I get to implement it when I do work as a model and people love being on set with me. And I make that, I make the set super, super fun and memorable. Um, sometimes we talk about stuff that's going on in personal lives and it helps people. So, um, but yeah, this is my main, this is my main thing I care about, basically. <laughs> and then did you get into um, the neurosciences with the intent of bringing it full circle back to modeling? Or was there another plan in mind? No, I just, because I like to, so I'm, a, I'm an extremely logical thinker. And I'm really happy that I have that because because of that, science has always made sense to me. And when I started to study... Um, it was really like analytical psychology or um, psychoanalysis, which I think one came from Ford and the other one from Carl Jung. But um, when I started studying that stuff and I kept hearing about neuroscience in the world of like, I guess, popularity, because, you know, sometimes things hit a trend and then people become interested in it. <laughs> And I had went, I think I did a seminar. I went to a seminar at a, a brain institute and a neuroscientist was the one teaching. And when I heard how they bro broke everything down, I was like, well, this is even more cool. And I just, I just went down a rabbit hole, really. Um, I didn't have any intent to bring it in anywhere or bring it back to anywhere i just thought this i think this is going to tell me more of what i need to understand about people that that could help them so now looking at the relationship with the neurosciences and i guess specifically to the the stresses that occur within the entertainment industry what are some commonalities you you that you've discovered in regards to how are people mentally suffering within the industry? Well, I think let's see if I can say this without sounding too nerdy. 
Um, <laughs> Be as nerdy as you possibly can, please. <laughs> well, one of the things I'm good at is making, you know, breaking science down to where people, you know, anybody can understand it. Because sometimes, sometimes it sounds very, very complicated. Because it is. But one of the things I noticed, and and so anyone knows who's listening to this, this is. Um, the reason I, I aimed it towards the entertainment industry is because that was just the industry I was in. Since I've done this the past couple of years, because I think that all words came out a while back, um, I've already, I'm going into other industries now. And I'm even working in schools and going into sports and broadcast. So there's all kinds of, all kinds of different industries. Because really at the end of the day, you're just dealing with human behavior in the human brain. So the commonalities that I'm going to talk about, you'll actually, you can experience in any industry that you might be working in. Um, specifically in the entertainment industry, which is what I can speak on pretty confidently, one of the things that I'm noticing or have noticed that a lot of people deal with across the board is the an overproduction of certain hormones um, whenever you are chasing your dreams, right? Because when you're chasing your dreams, you are experiencing dopamine. Whenever you get a, a job that's more dopamine, <laughs> more oxytocin, both of those things are both addicting components that you find in, in medications that doctors give you. And the dangerous part about that is whenever you do not get a job or something goes wrong, you, your hormones will stop and then you drop and then you experience this really, really low place, which is very normal. The only thing that's kind of scary about the entertainment industry is the constant stimulation from all the opportunities and all of the people that you're around. Mm. Um, so it just seems it's a little bit more heightened than it would be if you were going to your nine to five up the street. You know what I'm saying? Because now your whole life depends off of it. Your whole life depends off of this moment. Someone saying yes, someone saying no. You working your ass off, being recognized for it. Um, you know, one day your day is coming. Everybody knows that. <laughs> so we're all betting on that and we chase after that. And it can become addicting because those hormones are very addicting. And you can have withdrawals when you stop producing those hormones. And your body can experience um, the same type of pain that, an addict, that a person that's struggling with addiction would experience. So that's, Interesting. yeah, that's, that's one thing that I thought was pretty fucking phenomenal. Cause I was like, wow, you know, people look at these industries and they're like, man, these people are so lucky. You know, they get to do all these cool things get to be around these cool people. They seem like they're making a lot of money. You know, what do they have to complain about? And you just don't realize that that type of simulation is not made for any person to constantly live under. Um, it's really not good.
for us <laughs> over time. Um, I was talking to Mandy to say, actually, who is Selena Gomez's mom, and she was talking about how her family, um, you know, how they just kind of, they were already dealing with, you know, mental health struggles in their family, which is pretty normal, most people do. And then Selena got famous, and then the whole family just kind of like, it just blew up, you know what I'm saying? And they were like, it's crazy because we got less help. We got less help when we became famous than before. Because people just assumed, you know, I guess our problems were solved because we had money now. Um, and, you know, she has an entire, yeah, she has an entire um, venture now called Wondermine that they just launched because of this. Um, they wanted to make mental health, mental health resources accessible to people no matter what, you know, background they come from. So, yeah, that's one of the, I know that's a long answer, but that's that's mm. probably one of the things I've seen that and I know I know so many people, right? I know so many people that are like, I don't care about being famous. And these are usually famous people saying this yeah. or people that are popular leaders. <laughs> they say this stuff and I'm like, you know, you say that but your body is accustomed to it. And if you lost everything, right? Like let's say something bad happened, you got exposed for something and you just lost everything. Now you're the enemy. Um, I don't think you'd handle it too well. <laughs> you wouldn't handle that too well. Most people don't. I mean, that's not, you know, your whole your whole life can flip upside down in a moment. And, you know, we're made to survive every day, just get through life, be comfortable. And, you know, just, I mean, you know, you're in the entertainment industry. It's not really made for that. Yeah. It's not. So I'm not saying it's not possible. It is. It's just when I sit down and I talk with creatives or I work with teams and I break this shit down to them, they're like, oh, that's why we keep fighting. Or, oh, that's why so-and-so keeps going MIA every three months. Or, oh, that's why we can't depend on this person. Or that's why we keep losing people and have to get more interns. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I'm curious now if, um, because you related it to addiction, um, if that has any merit on the pride factor of artists that go to LA and then end up becoming homeless because of it, where they're just seeking that that gratification, that specific gratification to whatever it is that they're chasing, and then do that re does that relate? Is there any relationship to to um, artists going homeless in a sense? I think it could be, yeah. I mean, I haven't sat and studied that. So I can't say, but I mean, it makes sense just, just from what I know about, you know, our belief systems, how strong they are, how much they, um, how much they filter out what it is that we see. Um, yeah. all the things that we perceive in life. Um, yeah, I mean, you can get stuck. You can get stuck in this, whatever whatever world you're in. It doesn't matter what world you're in, right? You can completely, because that's your reality. Mm. That is your absolute reality. There is no other reality other than that. And 
whatever you dedicate that to, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting because we don't, so our brains are extremely, extremely powerful. And we like to think that we have control when we do, but we really don't because we don't understand how powerful our brains really are. Mm. So, you know, when we feel things, which is real, what you feel is absolutely real. Um, doesn't mean that's precise. It just means it's real to you. And, you know, that will dictate every decision you make. Whatever you believe is real will dictate your decision. So, and that's dangerous when, um, when you're constantly going off of what you feel. And what you feel can be what you think is your intuition. It can be what you think is spiritual. It can be what you think is a sign from the universe. Um, we're very biased in that and we don't think we are but we are we're very blind to it so i i see it i mean it makes sense to me i know i personally knew someone that was chasing this hollywood dream and was had a good run for a second i lost the momentum and just couldn't let it go was still you know, chasing and dropping moments of living their life. So let's say somebody does come to you in regards to having some kind of withdrawals from whatever it is that they're experiencing, whether it be from the industry or through life. How does neurolinguistic programming and neuroplasticity come into play? Okay, so... Neuroplasticity is just the ability for your brain to change at any moment in your life. And, you know, that, I would say it's more of a recent discovery. Um, the reason why it's so important is because for the longest time, we've been told that, you know, by the time you become a certain age, your brain is what it is and it's not going to change. And we've seen that that's not true. It's neuropla neuroplasticity is literally the reason why people who are told they're never going to walk again actually end up walking again. So it's very powerful um, because you can, um, you can train your brain to live again. Um, even after crazy trauma and, and that's, and that's pretty serious, you know, when, when you can't walk and you have to teach yourself how to do that again that shows you how strong yeah. your brain is. So if we can do that with our body, we can definitely do it with our thoughts, right? Um, and neurolinguistic programming is really, so it's funny because it's used a couple of different ways, but I like to use it um, as ways to help people understand what it is that they're perceiving and to do that accurately. Um, so neuro is basically your nervous system, which is from your brain, sends signals through your entire body. Linguistics is our language, whichever that may be, whether that's verbal or nonverbal cues. And then your programming, that's just breaking up or breaking down or building up um, 
you know, a certain, I guess you could say belief system um, or operation on how you, how you do things in life. So I guess for me, it's pretty easy because I'm not going to lie. I'm, I have a little bit of an advantage because I naturally understand people <laughs> mm. uh, to a degree that I didn't realize I did until I started doing this. So, you know, if I see any contradiction with somebody with what they're saying, and if I can see, um, and when I say contradiction, I mean where someone's talking to me, but their body's telling me com something completely different. And that's like the cool part about neurolinguistic programming too, is it's really big on nonverbal communication. And you can, you can see some people, some people like to say you can tell when people are lying. Um, I would say that's true to an extent. I may not be able to catch people every time, but <laughs> I can just see when someone's uncomfortable and your body doesn't lie. Your body does not lie. So, you know, you can give me the whole spill about what you're doing, what you're going through, um, you know, and I'll talk and, and while I'm, while you're talking, I'm watching and, you know, you'll, if your body tells me something else, then I know that there's something we got to work on in regards to your perception because you're lying to yourself. Um, and usually once, once people get to a part of what was the word I'm looking for? It's like unity within themselves when they're oneness with themselves, which is where they're not lying to themselves about what it is they're dealing with or what they're going through or what they're pursuing. Um, things just click. It's like the light bulb comes on. And yeah. I don't really have to do a lot of work after that. You know, it's just kind of like helping people get through these these moments of cloudiness that they put themselves in, by the way. <laughs> and a lot of people want to live there. So I think this stuff only works if, you know, if you want to actually change how you're experiencing your life, you know. And one thing I, I saw with this is like it was really helping people. It was really helping people in the industry because um, I think you just go, 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 go. And you don't ever stop and be like, hey, am I okay? Or, you know, I'm feeling uncomfortable, but you don't ever take the time to figure it out because oh, we're tough, you know, we're just keep it pushing, just be gangster about it, thug it out. And I'm not saying there's not validity in that to some degree, but it's important not to lie to yourself either. So that's really important more than anything. And I think it takes a lot of toughness. If you want to be tough anywhere, it takes a lot of toughness to look at yourself and say, hey, I'm not being honest with myself. You know, I'm lying to myself. And because I'm lying to myself, I'm lying to everybody else. Um, so, yeah, that causes a problem. It causes a problem in your work. It causes a problem with the decisions you make in your life. Um, you know, if you fall into this one category and you just start living that and you don't really want to be that, well, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so in a... 
in a, I guess, another way of speaking, neurolinguistic programming then is kind of like forcing yourself into a new habit of of doing. Is that yeah? Is it's, that a, it's, it's breaking. Yeah, you can break habits. You can definitely break yeah. habits. Some people use it to. Um, so it's it's a psychological model, and it's been used to help people with depression, anxiety, OCD, um, phobias, um, some trauma, because all it does is it, it just helps you break down why you're seeing what you're seeing, if it's accurate or not, and what that means to you. Um, we misread things all the time, all the time. And How is NLP then different than the phrase fake it till you make it. How's it different? Well, because you're not faking it with NLP. <laughs> you're not faking it. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah, you're not faking it. So NLP, um, I was very, no, I'll be honest about this. NLP is kind of my last resource that I use because it is not all of the techniques are scientifically proven to work. Okay, it's kind of it kind of falls into a pseudoscience, but I do know that um, some of the things, some of the techniques in there, um, they do work because they they've been they're the same models that are used in, with certain neuroscientists or certain psychologists. So I know that those work, but for the most part, um, NLP is also what very very good magicians use. Like some of the best magicians that have ever huh. lived in our yeah lived in our our time. <laughs> That's what they study. Yeah. That's what they use because they. Can you break it down and give me an example of like how a magician would use NLP? Yes. Yeah, so have you ever heard of um, Banachek? Have you ever heard of him? I don't know if you heard of him or not, but Joe Rogan talks about him quite a bit on his podcast. Um, and Banachek is, he's considered to be the, the number one mentalist in the world, the greatest mentalist in the world. Hmm. He's taught people like Chris Angel, um, Penn and Teller, David Blaine, um, you know, all the people that we know. And he is, he became famous for, he became famous for, um, I guess, debunking <laughs> this church that was this famous church that was basically screwing people out of their money and they were lying and saying that god was telling them to do this and that but in reality they were using magic they were using magic techniques to con people mm. um and banachek exposed them banachek also was um responsible for fooling scientists <laughs> Um, I'd have to find that and send it to you. But he's done a lot of crazy shit, basically. And I was on his show back in the beginning of 2020 um, when he had read about me. So I went out to Vegas and talked to him, and we talked a lot about NLP um, because it's something that he uses when he's reading people's minds. He's not really, and he, and he says it, and he says, I'm, I'm an entertainer. I don't really have powers. Yeah. This is all entertainment. 
And this is just years and years and years of studying and knowing and understanding the human, human mind and the human body. So, and he talks about it. He says that people will tell you. People will tell you. And he'll make suggestions. So, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen some really good tricks, but sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll limit your perspe- perception of things, but you have to choose certain things. And then when they reveal it to you, that's exactly what you were thinking. Or, you know, maybe they're reading numbers off of something that's in your pocket. Um, yeah. And that's all, yeah, it's all a part of, it's all a part of like singling out people's um, options and then reading their body because the mind just goes to the closest thing that it just saw. And that's with everybody. Um, so it's really, really interesting. And then also, I don't know if you ever heard of, um, what's his name? Chris Boss, I think, the FBI negotiator who's famous yeah. and he started, he started to teach people through teach businesses using NLP because he would, I saw that he, he had like a masterclass. Yeah. Yeah. And he uses it um, to negotiate with hostages and get them to tell the truth. And at some point they'll end up catching themselves on why. So it's really interesting how that works, but um but yeah, I, I, I don't use it to manipulate people. <laughs> That's what most people, I think, think of it. But yeah. there are some really, really helpful techniques in there that, um, that if you learn, you just kind of, you just get rid of all that other middle ground noise. And we'll be right back after this short message. But in the meantime, don't forget to connect with us on our Instagram, at playon2013. And tell us what you think about the show. Do you like mangoes? <laughs> of course you do. And if you don't, well, I'm sure there's a high chance you might know someone who does. Well, the Two Degrees Podcast is sponsored by Peeled Fruit. No, not just random fruit that's been peeled, but the children's book about a mother's love language of peeling mango for her baby. Available for delivery on bookbaby.com, bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, and Amazon, just to name a few of the retailers. It even ships worldwide. Check out at Peeled Fruit Book on Instagram for more information on how to get your copy of this heartwarming story. Peeled Fruit, illustrated by Rhoda Domingo. Now, back to the show. In the field of entertainment, then, when it comes to NLP, um, and to use NLP in the field of entertainment, is there any, then, relationship to professional hypnosists, where that's the process that they use in regards to subduing their, their like, what would it be, client? victim (laughs) (laughs) i think they would like it to be referred as as a client but (laughs) yeah um i've seen them be used together it's not for me the way that i use it is not the same because i don't i just stay away from anything that's going to tap into somebody's subconscious to where they're not fully aware of what's going on i don't think that's right 
um, because it's not really helping people. Um, I mean, it can to a degree, but what I want to do is I want to give people techniques that they can implement on their own and that they can, you know, use to help them. So, you know, I'm more on, since that article came out, by the way, I'm, I also just got certified in a behavioral integration course. Um, and I've been studying that neurobiology of trauma um, and all these things just really helped me um, really help me understand neurobiology and trauma yeah the neurobiology of trauma yeah can basically you, how the brain is wired after you experience trauma can you break it down then in regards to how your brain is affected by trauma and then how your brain can heal trauma through its um, thought process yeah so Let's see if there's a simple way for me to say this. Um, <laughs> so whenever you experience trauma, whenever you experience trauma, you are, um, your brain is immediately wired to whatever happened to you at that time. And trauma can be anything. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be something serious. Um, it can just be any type of, major change in your life, deceit of your life. Um, it can be anything. Um, most people think, when they think of trauma, they think of war veterans, right? Yeah. Um, and the reason why it alters your brain so much is because your, your mind is in fight, flight, or freeze most of the time, especially when you're triggered. You have these hyperarousal moments and you cannot think. You literally can't think because the front of your brain is shut down. It completely shuts down. And what happens is the hormones in your brain are actually speeding up the memories, but it lowers the accuracy of when those memories happen. So that's why when you're experiencing trauma, you are reliving an event as if it's happening to you right now but it's not. Um, and you can feel that. And that can be anything. That could even be rejection. Like if you get rejection in a moment, whether it's someone you're trying to date, a job you're trying to get, and that rejection, your brain is wired to the rejection that you received when you were a child. And before you know it, you feel that shit all over again. Mm. And it was 30-something years ago, 40 years ago. So... So yeah, it, it just affects the way that we accurately perceive um, threat around us, whether we are actually in danger or not. Um, so I forgot the second part of the question you asked me. And then how can we use how can we use um, our our neurology to heal traumas? Oh, okay. So, but, I mean, besides, you know, studying it, some people, some people say therapy is good, but even the studies are showing now that talk therapy is not working like hmm. it was told to, to work because we're seeing that talking about things is not, it doesn't help. 
because we're just reliving it over and over and over again, right? What we have to do is we have to identify where it's coming from. So it's good to know where the root is, but we don't, we actually don't have to relive it. We don't have to talk about that. What we have to do is whenever we feel that, we just have to get through that safely, right? So that's why they say things like meditation, um, even boxing, running, being active, doing maybe some painting or some drawing, um, all these things that are told to be very therapeutic for the body, they help. And the reason why they help is because it brings your state of mind into the present. If you can stay focused in the present, then you are more likely to get out of a trauma response. Hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's been, that's like the wide range answer for that. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of different ways you can do it, but being so present then, is. Am I is accurate the then to, to surmise that the way to heal trauma then is to just stay present? It is a way to do that, yes. Now, you can be present and completely avoid your trauma, which is not going to work, right? So you have people that, um, like I have a friend <laughs> who's a lot of fun, and he's great, and he knows how to have a good time, and he makes sure everybody else has a good time, but he he, he says it all the time. He's like, I'm, I'm like Peter Pan, and I'm running from my problems. And I, I don't think I'm ever going to grow up. And he's one of those people that avoids, um, you know, and he's not a bad person at all. So I'm not saying this to put him on front street. I'm just using him as an example because he talks mm -hmm. about it and he's open. Um, he avoids all of that, you know, mastering himself. I mean, he works on himself, but, you know, sometimes working on, working on yourself is not easy to do. It's yeah. really not. We... I mean, it sounds so, you know, fun and righteous and all that, but it's really not that fun. I mean, let's just be honest. It's not fun digging and getting rid of things that people did to you when you were completely a victim. Um, it is Sometimes it's not fair, right, to not hold on to the anger and the pain and all the shit, the way you grew up, where you're from, all of that. Like, you got to let all that go, you know. And you have to remove yourself from your story. So I do think, yes, being present can help. But I also think that while you're being present, you have to remove yourself from the story that you tell yourself about yourself. You know, because if not, you being present can just be, you being present can just be a distraction from that story. Where you're avoiding it. Right. So then is this then also another example of neuroplasticity? Yeah. Yeah, it's changing your brain. It's an interesting way to, to approach it in regards to, because for me especially, I'm, I'm an advocate for talk therapy as well. But mm -hmm. it does get to a point where the therapy just becomes redundant if you're not actually working on yourself. Yeah, so well, the reason why is because talking, so there's only, there's a certain part of our brain that our words come from, formulating our words come from, but there's also a certain part of our brain where we have experiences and emotions that actually cannot 
even formulate words. So talking doesn't always help, right? Because our bodies are still experiencing something that we cannot even verbalize. Um, that's why, you know, that's why when I was talking about the neurobiology of it, that's the, that's the programming of your neurons right after you've experienced trauma that's why neuroscience is so cool to me because it talks about that and it shows like you can literally look at a neuron one that's been damaged and one that's healthy and it's incredible i mean they look like little trees in your head and if they're not working correctly they won't fire correctly which means you're just going to miss the signal that your brain is trying to tell you. Um, so, yeah, and then that all goes back to the neuroplasticity of things. So I'm just, this shit is just amazing to me, <laughs> which is why I'm so deep into it. Is there uh, a physical science in regards to surgery to repair neurons, or has that not yet been discovered and we just have to kind of repair them ourselves in our heads? Um, but I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't know because I don't. I could probably ask my neuroscience buddy because she's actually going to school, I believe, um, to be a doctor. So I would have to ask in terms of surgery. But um, I don't know if they do or not. I would assume they do. With every everything else they have in technology, I'd be surprised if they didn't. I know they do um, certain stimulation. Um, you know, where they put waves in the brain through the skull and, you know, that's supposed to help, but I don't know if they go in individually and actually touch them. What's your opinion and your belief on being able to preserve the mind even after the body has died? Um, I don't know. I mean, it depends on how a person lives their life because really... There was a, I, well, first I'll answer. I think it could be done. I think it could be done. Um, I'm not sure how, but I think it could be done because we have so many other organs, you know, that we use after we die. Um, and the brain is just so complicated. They still haven't figured a lot out yet, but I think eventually it will get there. Um, but I also will say that a lot of the time what we've seen, so heart, right? The heart, we seem to know a lot about the heart um, as an organ. We know what not to eat that's bad for our heart. We know what to eat. We know that we should work out. We know we shouldn't sleep all day. We know we shouldn't be under a lot of stress because um, your heart can shut down, right? You can get clogged. You can gets fat in certain areas that aren't supposed to be there and it kills you. So our understanding of the heart is way advanced compared to our understanding of the brain, right? Um, and we've started to see that people are also dying because their brains are dying. Their brains are slowly shutting down. Um, sometimes we have freak accidents, we die. Sometimes our heart causes us to die. Sometimes it's cancer. Sometimes there's other stuff. But most of the time, um, if none of those things are happening, it could just be your brain shutting down. Um, which is why people who live to be really old, 
they tend to have pretty good brains. Yeah. Uh, they're sharp. They're, they can still, you know, perceive the world around them. They can, they still know how to do certain things. Um, you know, the reason some people, like I have a family member right now that's, you know, slowly passing and parts of her brain is just shutting down to where she's mm, forgetting how to here. eat. She's forgetting how to use the bathroom. And so it's things like that. Like if someone were to pass, we probably couldn't use a brain like that, you know, but um, yeah, but I do think that, you know, there is, because they've shown, it's, it's been shown if you can, if you can take care of your brain, like you take care of your heart, you're probably going to live longer. Now you brought up a very specific word and I'd like to hear your professional opinion on it, but what does stress do to the body? What does it mean to me? What does stress do to the body? Oh, what does it do to the body? Uh, shit, everything. Stress is not always bad, by the way. Um, you know, and for example, like, you know, if you're working out in the gym, you're putting certain stress on your muscles and your body that your body's not used to. So stress is just really uh, a major amount of change in a small period of time. That's usually what stress is. Um, it can be good or bad. If it's bad, too much stress can hurt you. Absolutely. Um, most people think of stress as a bad thing, but it's not. It's just uncomfortable because it's just an over, it's a lot for your body to take at one time. Um, you know, like for women when they're giving birth, if we were giving birth over a month instead of, you know, two to four hours or five hours, eight hours, we probably wouldn't have such terrible births. <laughs> but it's a lot of stress on the body at one time. Um, yeah. So um, stress can just cause you, it can cause you to go into, at least in a mental place, it can cause you to go into a place of survival. It can shut, you, shut certain parts of your brain down. It can cause um, certain parts of your no nervous system to overreact. Your heart can beat fast. A lot of people that deal with anxiety deal with this whenever they start experiencing stress. Um, their nervous system is immediately over-respondent and then they can't control it after that. Now it's out of their control because their body's just going somewhere else. Um, but stress can kill you. It absolutely kills you. Um, and the amazing part about that is when I was studying the neurobiology of trauma, stress can actually, it has almost everything to do with your epigenetics and how certain things turn on and off in your DNA, right? So for instance, when you go to the doctor and they ask you, do you have any history of ABCD? Some of those things they ask you do not run in your bloodline. But when I say that, I mean, they're not actually genetic. So just because your father or mother had cancer does not mean you're going to have cancer. Yeah. It does not mean that. What it does mean though, is you have, you have a predisposition of cancer in your family 
And if you are under enough stress, the telomeres on the end of your DNA will unravel and then you will develop cancer. Um, so it's the same thing with back problems. Your spine is not hereditary either. But we tend to have the same back problems as our parents do um, or our siblings, and we have the same posture. Um, so this just has to do with the way that we handle life, the way that we respond to life. Gotcha. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but yeah, yeah stress can, it, go, it goes all the way. But for the worst part of it, it can kill you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can kill you. It can turn on all the bad stuff in your DNA and yeah. you start dealing with all kinds of um, illnesses that came out of nowhere. Yeah. Stress. <laughs> um, I'm curious to know how your conversation went with Mayim and if you got out everything that you wanted to ask and how you were reacting in regards to just being a huge fan of her and what she does. Oh, when I got to talk with her. Um, yeah, no, that was, that was pretty cool when I spoke to her. Um, it was her and her business partner. And it was pretty fun. But talking to her was like, it was like I'd known her forever. Um, yeah, it was really cool. I thought, I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. I thought maybe... She was going to be like, oh, my God, I just want to get this interview over with. But um, no, she was actually like, I mean, she told me, which I was so excited about. And I have this on recording, so I'm not lying. But she told me that, <laughs> like, I was absolutely fascinating and she could talk to me for hours. Mm. Um, so it was, she was like, she loves the way that I think. And um it was just amazing, you know, and it was cool hearing her stories with things that she's experienced in the industry. And, um, you know, she, she was, she's a very, can you hear my son sneezing in the background? Yeah. <laughs> Cause I totally just saw my phone pick that up. <laughs> That's all good. Um, yeah, no, she shared her stories about things that happened to her in the industry and, you know, it was just cool. She was very, um, I loved her. I literally loved her. So that that was probably Carter. I'm on a call. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, she was amazing. She was amazing. It was that was a pretty cool moment um, um, to get to talk to her. She made nice. me feel very comfortable. That's fine. We're nearing the end of this uh, call but I also wanted to bring up one more thing in regards to something that you got going on um, and I'm going to try my best to get this out as soon as possible for you. We missed the first one but there's still three more talks but you have a what would you call this like a, a series of talks going on the conversations with women's voices of downtown Fort Worth it's DW, so yeah, it's the Dallas Fort Worth. DFW stands for Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. Dallas Fort Worth. Yeah. Gotcha. So um, downtown Cowtown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there was this. That's actually so this guy that um, 
this guy that has a theater, he, um, okay, let me say this better. <laughs> One of my former teachers opened this theater downtown. I mean, actually he re refurbished and redid this entire theater. It was in shambles. And one of the guys that worked there, who's the event coordinator, came up with this idea to have um, really powerful women in the Metroplex um, get on a, get on stage and just talk about things they don't really share. So they were looking for someone to moderate this. First, they were, you know, looking at certain news anchors, um, you know, maybe some social media influencers, and then they were like, oh my God, let's ask a dare. She does this all the time. So um, yeah. I did my first one with them. It was really cool. Yeah. It was with Kelly Raspberry, um, who was known for um, being on the Kid Craddock morning show. Um, and then we have three more coming up. Our next one is mm. on February 8th. And it's with Tashara Parker, who was famous for, or kind of became famous, actually. She was already working um, as a news anchor and journalist on uh, Channel 8 News. And she got a lot of flack because she wore her natural hair. She's a black woman. She wore her natural hair and she wore a lot of black hairstyles. Um, it was not reciprocated well with the public and the networks. They gave her a very hard time and she fought to keep her hair the way she wanted to wear it. And she kind of like, she became famous because of that. And she still wears her hair. She wears her hair however she wants. <laughs> As you should, right? Um, and her hair always looks cool. Like it's cool. It's almost cool to tune in and see what her hair is going to look like yeah. that day, you know, because she's, I mean, you know, people, culture, cultural people, like our hair is just, you know, our hair, the way we dress is just, that's how we express ourselves. So, um, she's my next one. It's going to be really cool to talk to her, but we talk, we basically, on the talks, we just go into, um, you know, all the things that they've experienced as women, any advice they give, we do a and a at the end. Um, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool, it's very intimate. The cool thing about it is it's not live streaming. It's not recorded. Um, this is actually an event where you have to come and sit down. And it's limited. I think it's like 500 max people can come. But whatever you get in there is between you and the rest of everybody in there. It's not it's not for the public. So they're very cool. They're intimate. And it's a way to kind of get to know these people. Um, so are you allowed then to see some of the questions that you're looking forward to asking for Tashara, for Betsy, and for Chris? Yeah, usually the question I like to ask um, is I ask them, um, I ask them about things that they're misunderstood on, like what's what's the number one thing that people misunderstand about you, and what is something that you want people to really know about you um, that no one would guess. Um, those are always really emotional answers, always, because 
they don't ever, I don't think they ever get asked that, you know? Hmm. Um, and then I asked them about things um, like if there was ever, if there was ever an event that took place, you know, while you were, you know, in your line of work and you had to show up for work, was there anything that happened that made you want to quit? Um, whether, you know, and it could be anything in your personal life, anything at work. And then they share that story, whatever it was. Um, my last one, she was, she's a radio host and she shared how uh, when her husband left her when she was six months pregnant and nobody knew about it. And she kept it private and she, and she didn't, she didn't have a baby until she was 40. Like she was 40 years old pregnant and she never thought she would be in that position and he just left her. He just up and left her. And she never took it upon herself to bash him or make him look bad. But she would go into work dealing with that situation and nobody knew about it. Um, and she's a huge public figure, you know. So um, it's just things like that. They really help you see mm -hmm. people as people and not, yeah. you know, oh, this is my this is my celebrity uh, crush or this is my, this is the woman I look up to. This is the woman I want to be like, like it's, yeah. you know, you just get to hear them talk as people and, um, and it's fun. They, they share because of the setting, they share a little mm -hmm. bit more than they would if there were cameras in the room. Mm. That's yeah. Cool. That's cool. Kind of cool. A little How VIP treatment. Are you in <laughs> How political are you intending on getting with Betsy Price? Oh man, I honestly I don't know how I'm gonna do that one because <laughs> I really don't. I'm not a very uh, I'm not a very political person. Uh, at least in terms of you know being heavy in it to where mm -hmm. I live my life daily with it in my vocabulary, but. You know, yeah, I'm gonna have to see that one. See how I'm gonna do that one. I'm excited about Chris Boyd. I think. Well, I'm really excited about all of them, but Chris Boyd. I think that's gonna be. I think it's gonna be my favorite. Favorite one that I do. Sweet. Yeah. Nice. Well, I look forward to hearing about all that. Um, so yeah, for everybody that's still listening, um, and that happens to be in Dallas, Fort Worth, February eighth. Uh, you'll catch her there with Deshaw Parker, and on March 15th, she'll be there with former mayor Betsy Price, and on April 12th with Chris Boyd, so check that out, and I wish you the best with those shows, and I look forward to hearing about how all of them go, and maybe we can have you back afterwards, and something go over yeah, yeah. some of uh, yeah. but um, before we leave... Um, I'll flip the question to you then. What's something about you that you want people to know that you might have been misunderstood? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. I think, I, well, I'm only saying this because uh, I'm a model, but uh, which I think people would find this ironic, but I really do not care about the way I look at all. Um, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm not a very... Yeah, you when she when she logged in and we had video on. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. That's how I look all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm very um Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm not vain. Like a lot of people think I am. I guess they assume I am. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I just, the person that I look like is not who I am. I'll just say that. Uh, so I'm just, I get a lot of, uh, people just assume that my life is a certain way and, um, you know, I'm, I'm bougie or which I can be to a degree, but I enjoy, I enjoy, I enjoy enjoying things in life. Yeah. Um, so then curious as to why you chose and why you chose to stay in this industry considering that is the perception that people garner from it uh because i just got to a point where i was like i don't care <laughs> i don't do that i don't do anything because of other people because i know me right anybody that knows me and, and works with me knows me enough uh to know you know yeah, she she is who she is. I mean, I'm not gonna. I have a lot of gifts that this industry offers me to make money off of, right? I can't do that in other industries. So, um, of course, I'm gonna stay in the industry that brings the dough. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but it also it, it brings me amongst a lot of people, great people that I would never meet if I worked in in different industries. So yeah. I don't know if that that is a good answer. I feel like that's kind of a shallow answer, but yeah. Yeah, And I wish what I do wish people understood about me is I'm so extremely powerfully loving. I'm a very powerfully loving person, and I don't mean loving as in like I'm going to cook for you and spoil you. Loving, I just mean in terms of seeing a person for who they are accepting a person forgiving a person um i'm a very are you perceived otherwise then or do you um, find that you're perceived otherwise sometimes um, no i think people just i i don't think that's a perception thing i think most people just aren't that way most people aren't as as I'm not going to say like people don't love like I do. I can't say that because I'm not saying this in terms of romance. Um, you know, I just mean the way I am with people. Um, I'm an extremely, I just see people for who they are. And I'm, for some reason, I understand them, whoever it is. If I don't, I'll tell them like, I can't, I don't understand you. But <laughs> for the most part, um, it's very, very easy for me to connect with another another human being and i think that most people don't expect that because you know when they first see me they're like oh she probably doesn't even want to talk to me i'm not even gonna bother her she looks mean <laughs> would you attribute that then to like your modeling then and what they perceive in the pictures versus how they could no no i wouldn't just no, that's both. That's mm. that's in modeling and in just in real life, in gotcha. person. Mm. Yeah, because when I walk in a room, um, and I don't mean to do this, I hear this a lot everywhere I go. People will be like, "You act like you own the place," mm. and I'm like, "Well, I'm not trying to. <laughs> I just yeah. have a really powerful presence. Um, I'm very sweet, so I'm not like this woman that's going around 
beating her chest or anything, but, um, you know, I'm just, I don't know. I guess I'm just I'm very curious to learn more about what those people mean when they say you look like your own place. Because that sounds like a positive thing to me, but then it sounds as if they were to say it in a more negative sense. Uh, yeah, it just depends on who it's coming from. Hmm. Some people like it, some people are offended. <laughs> yeah, fair. But yeah, no, that's me. I've always been that way. Have you looked? Have you looked in the mirror when you walk in the room? Maybe you have. I don't think it's my face. face that everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I do have that sometimes. But I, don't, I don't think it's my face. I think it's just my whole. Um, I think it's just my aura. I think it's my energy. It's, it's what I believe about myself. I really love yeah. myself a lot, like yeah. in a healthy way. Um, you know, I always choose myself over um, situations that are not good for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, eventually I give everybody a chance. I give everybody the opportunity. Um, but, you know, I'm just, I'm not a fool. So <laughs> I'm just, yeah. I don't know, I guess I have my, my limitations on things I deal with. And I think my boundaries are really good. I think I have pretty mm. good boundaries. There you go. I think I think that should be like a little tagline for for your talk, where it's like, "Well, this is who you are. This is what you want people to know." We've solidified it in a podcast. This is what you <laughs> want people to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, Miss Adair, thank you so much for lending your time and even though like we had to switch it up last minute because you're just too busy for me now you're you got you got <laughs> model shoots photo shoots going on and and the world just wants you so i'm I'm grateful and thankful for the time so you're awesome for coming out <laughs> no thank you i appreciate it and i would love to be back on in the future yeah sweet well everybody thanks for tuning in to the two degrees podcast brought to you by the play on foundation and don't forget to check out everything adair has going on and the entertainment mind frame and see if y'all can find that Forbes article and just be in as much awe as I was when I first came across it. Because to be in Forbes is, that's, that's the, I don't know what to say. In regards to just making it as a business from an entrepreneurial standpoint, like, of course, Forbes. So, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the level that she's on. But thank y'all for coming out, and y'all stay safe. Thank you all for tuning in. Artwork by Monique Lizardo. Music by Kate Cole. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe, share, tag us, whatever all the fun things people do when they like something. But most importantly, check out www.letsplayon.org for the Play On Foundation and lend your voice in bringing awareness to the neurological research for brain aneurysm detection and prevention. My name's Chavi. See you next time on the Two Degrees Podcast.